Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from a very small state. Sirens blaring, music blasting, horns beeping. Providence is full of noises, and those noises affect some communities more than others. Rhode Island PBS producer Michelle San Miguel recently spoke with Brown professor Erica Walker about her project examining which neighborhoods are the loudest. Turns out it's also where low-income people and communities of color live. What can we do to combat noise pollution and make the clatter of our cities more equitable? Our conversation after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org slash weekly. That's ripbs.org slash weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with Brown University professor Erica Walker and Rhode Island PBS producer Michelle San Miguel. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Let's begin with Professor Walker. Erica, uh, you run the Community Noise Lab at Brown. Tell us about the lab's work. We originally started out as a lab that helped community members deal with their identified issues. So ranging from airports to road traffic to people playing basketball in the basketball courts in the park, we were there to support them with real-time monitoring, community surveying, interviews, et cetera, just to make sure that we gave them a voice and some hard data to use it for advocacy purposes. And where do you work? Has it been focused on uh, Rhode Island, on Providence, or is it nationwide? Or? So we do communities as they reach out to us. So, like, I've been primarily working in New England, but recently I've been in my home state of Mississippi. Michelle, you did a piece focusing on noise levels here in Providence. Tell us about what you found in your reporting. I found that many people were frustrated with the excessive noises that they were dealing with, transportation being the big one. I mean, it's no secret Providence has a lot of major highways and roads that run through it. And so it's hard, even if you live on the outskirts of those highways and major roads, you likely still hear the cars and the trains and the buses, you know, coming by. But one of the other things that people contend with on a regular basis, over-modified exhaust systems and They feel like they reach out to the city and that things are not getting done. And so I think that people were eager to talk with us because they don't want to move. They just don't want to move. And they feel like this should be something that's relatively simple to fix. And frankly, it affects their quality of life. 
So transportation was the main source of complaints? Transportation was the main source of complaints, loud music. I mean, most of it stemming from noise coming from vehicles. Erica, how did Brown study this issue? How did you gather the data on noise levels in different areas of the city? So I actually enrolled my class. Um, I teach a class in the fall that's called Exposure Assessments in Context. So in that class, we had a community resident come and tell us about the issues. And then I decided to kind of let them loose in the city. So they took instrumentation and developed an exposure plan and went out and measured sound levels at I think we we collected about 720 measurements across the city of Providence. And over what time period would they go out there? Like how long are you out in the field? Yep. So we took spot measurements. So these are like five-minute measurements. Um, We have long-term sensors going across Providence like 24 hours a day. But we wanted them together, spot measurements, five-minute measurements. And we wanted to do them at four different time periods, weekday, day, weekday, night, Weekend, day, weekend, night. And so, Michelle, tell us more about the sources of the noise pollution. I mean, how about uh, we, we've seen a lot in the headlines over the years about ATVs, people complain about leaf blowers, what, oh, what yeah. kind of things? Oh, yeah. I mean, we had people who were eager to talk about leaf blowers. We had people who were eager to talk about, again, the modified exhaust systems, ATVs. I spoke with a man who lives on Federal Hill, and he moved there just a few years ago. And he says of all the places he's lived, it's the best community he's ever lived in. However, he works from home, and he says he struggles to get work done. He's developed tinnitus, and he says that the excessive noise that he hears, not from living off of the 610 connector, but from the loud noise from Dean and Atwell's, has contributed to the tinnitus. He has trouble— Ringing in the ears, The ringing in the ears. He has trouble focusing. He says that he's had to take anxiety medication. And I said to him, what do you say to people who just say— if you're so bothered by this excessive noise and people racing, just move. I mean, you're in a major city. Just move to the suburbs. And he said, I can do that. But what happens to the next person who comes in? Huh. Are we just yeah, going to yeah. kick this can down the road and just always make this someone else's problem? Right. right. Then not everybody can afford to move to Situate or wherever. Right, right. Right. And frankly, he loves where he lives. He just wishes that it wasn't so noisy. Is, is a lot of it the nightclubs? Because I'm thinking about Federal Hill and downtown have a lot of uh, live music events or... Yep, the nightclubs. I mean, he sent me video of a car that, you know, he said was outside of his apartment for hours just blasting music and he would call the police, but it would take them a while I to come out for there. That. <laughs> right, but uh, you know, and I spoke to uh, you know, a councilman, John Gonzalves, who said, "Yeah, of course it's a police matter, but also police officers, their top priority is violent crime, mm-hmm. right? right?" And so right. if you're dealing with violent crime, are you really going to take, you know, if you don't have the time That's not going to be a pressing issue to respond to someone complaining about loud noise and excessive music outside of your apartment. Right, right. Erica, I saw you say that the noise level in Providence is as high as Boston. Is that true? Yes, it's true. We're as noisy as Boston? Yes. Wow. I mean, we're we're punching above our weight there and noise, it seems. What what makes Providence particularly noisy? Rhode Island is a small state. Providence is a small city. Small but noisy. That's how but we, we should put that yeah. on the license plate. <laughs> Actually, I like that. But it's compact. So everything happens in a tight area. And when you think about it, it's just like a symphony of different sources. So you're an epide- uh, professor of epidemiology, correct? Yes. What are the health effects of this noise? If we were exposed to sounds that were so loud, they could knock out our hearing, right? And that has its own body of literature. 
But I'm very much interested in that type of noise that starts that stress, that flight or fight response. Mm. So you can kind of think of it as the same response that prepares you to fight a ferocious tiger or a lion. You know, you start to sweat, your heart starts to increase, and you start to either prepare to flee from the situation or fight the situation. So it is that mechanism that when it's consistently stimulated over a long period of time, it can lead to very serious cardiovascular-related diseases. But then when you hear, like Michelle was saying, people talking about my health, my well-being, my mental my ability to control my environment. There's also these mental health aspects, including anxiety and depression. Hmm. Having worked in a um, newsroom my whole life, I think I think I can relate to that, the, the constant noise level. Michelle, I was interested in the map of the mm-hmm. noise levels that you showed in your piece. What, where are some of the noise levels lowest and highest? Yeah, so based on the findings by Erica and her students, they found that Upper South Providence and South Elmwood are the loudest neighborhoods with decibels coming in at 69. So think about the sound of a hairdryer. The sound of a hairdryer just nonstop. That's what many people are dealing with in Upper South Providence and South Elmwood. And do do you know why the noise levels are higher there? Well, think about the proximity to the highways, right? The highways, yeah. Right, And and it's no coincidence, right, that who tends to live in these neighborhoods. They're very diverse neighborhoods, low-income neighborhoods, people of color. And so here's an issue where once again, people of color are being disproportionately affected by, in this case, noise pollution. As for the quietest neighborhoods, I don't think it would be any surprise to tell you that it's Blackstone and College Hill. And yet I spoke with people off camera, in this case, who were still complaining about noise pollution, Hmm. you know, still in Blackstone and College Hill. On the east side, basically, right? Yeah. Erica, talk to us about the environmental justice aspects of this of this research. As Michelle was saying, when we think about where it's loudest and where it's quietest, you can immediately see, like from an urban planning perspective, what's happening in those communities. So the environmental justice sort of kind of goes back to how we planned our cities to begin with. Traditionally, we put the poorest in our cities next to these major transportation networks, near airports, near major highways, near industrial activities. So when you think about that, by nature, if you're putting the poorest people in the areas that make the most sound, and we've done that historically, then of course, when you go and take a measurement today, you're going to see that the areas that house the poorest, the darkest of us are also the loudest. You said sound is a proxy for power. Tell us about that. So when you think about it in terms of things being loud, usually the people in control of designing where things go in our cities are able to put people and situations together that don't have the power to to fight back. But then when you think about the people who have the ability to make things quiet, too, those are the people that are connected. So it just denotes just a, a significant power differential, both in why things are loud and who gets the ability to make things quiet that we're going to have to grapple with. Yeah. And, and to pick up on that, I mean, were you saying that the people who are upset about the noise levels are not getting response from their elected officials when when they raise these issues? Right. And one of the things that I found when 
covering the story, Councilman John Gonzalves, he plans to introduce the idea of installing acoustic cameras in the city. Now, I spoke to him before he announced that he was running for Congress. So granted, I know he probably has other things that he's focused on right now. But acoustic cameras, they're being piloted in New York City. These are not cameras that are recording nonstop. When a vehicle comes by that it's that it's emi- emitting a high frequency of sound, it would snap a picture of that vehicle's license plate. And so that person would then receive a ticket in the mail. And so one of the things that the councilman spoke about was that you don't want to be over-policing a community. And he worries that having police officers respond to complaints about loud noise, you would be targeting a specific community, most likely communities of color. In installing these acoustic cameras, you take out the element of policing and people are held accountable with these cameras as opposed to having police officers there. Erica, what would you recommend to policymakers? If we want something that's sustainable, we're going to have to kind of go back to the drawing board and figure out what we did wrong. So this is a story of poor urban planning. This is a story of environmental injustice. So we're going to have to go back to the drawing board and not only identify those areas that were impacted, but then offer relief. So you're going to have to fix the situation. And anything other than that is just putting a Band-Aid on, a, on an issue. So it's going to be going back and identifying the mistakes apologizing for those mistakes, vowing to not to do those things in the future, but then also providing some sort of relief for the people who now have to to bear the brunt of those issues. So that's interesting. You're saying the solution is not to hang out, hand out a bunch of tickets. It's not an enforcement issue. It's not like we've got the decibel level here and you're in trouble, pay a fine. It, it's broader than that. It's great urban planning. Yeah. What would you say to the people to address Michelle's point that uh, that she raised that would say that a noise comes with living in a city? You know, it should that people should move to the country if you want peace and quiet. It's not just a sacrifice that you have to make to live in close proximity to these two cities. It is a public health issue that's negatively impacting the health and well-being of people as old, as young as in utero to as old as very elderly. Erica, is there a state or city that has responded to this these high levels of noise in a really effective way? So Asheville, North Carolina, they were very concerned about sound levels in their city, and so they wanted to reimagine their noise ordinances. And I thought they did a really good job of actually really studying noise. So everything that we've been talking about today has been sound, but noise is that aspect of sound that people, individuals, communities have deemed to be unwanted. So I think that the city of Asheville did a really good job of not only characterizing the physical attributes of sound, but also who in the community was, who determined it was a nuisance. So they did sound stuff and they also did noise stuff, which I thought was great. Michelle, what was the most surprising thing you learned in reporting out this story? I think the public health component to me was very surprising. When I first began reporting on this story, I thought, okay, this sounds like a nuisance. But again, in talking with Erica and talking with people, people's healths are really being affected by this. And we're talking about millions of people, according to the EPA, who are affected by noise pollution adversely every year, cardiovascular issues, stress, anxiety. And so I think the main thing I would say that we would need to do is to take this issue seriously because, again, I worry that it's not being taken seriously. When we think of pollution, we think of air pollution, we think of water pollution, we think of plastic pollution. And, you know, again, prior to 
covering this story, I really had never given much thought to noise pollution. So how can people see the episode that you produced? They can catch it on ripbs.org slash weekly. So to wrap it up, what would you recommend to listeners who hear this and want something done in Providence to make their quality of life a little higher? I think they just got to get louder in terms of... (laughs) Make some noise? (laughs) Make some noise, exactly. Uh, Who should they contact? They can contact us if they want us to get out and measure, if they want us to, if they want to collect objective data. Um, I definitely think they should stay in contact with their local officials, their city council people, the mayor, show up to meetings, show up and be loud. And I think they should also appreciate people like Michelle who bring light to their, to their stories and give it legitimacy. And how could people reach out to you or your organization? So I have a website, communitynoiselab.org, and there you can find my contact information and you can reach out to me. All right, Michelle and Professor Walker, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Here are some more stories to check out this week in Globe, Rhode Island. It's May, which means it's officially U.S. Representative David Cicilline's final month in Congress. Globe columnist Dan McGowan has the details. Alexa Gagas has a Q&A with the founder of Wingspan, a program that uses rich personal stories to help adult learners reimagine their career paths. And I have a story about how former President Trump's campaign hired Ken Block, a former Republican candidate for governor, to try to verify a dozen or so claims of voter fraud. He found all of them were false. For these stories and more, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. And if you like the podcast, do us a favor, follow the show, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org passport. That's ripbs.org passport.